kind of one of those times where you just want to let them keep singing and not get up here and worry about all this. Uh, weren't they good? Y'all give them a round one more hand of applause. Well, if you uh, brought a Bible, you're welcome to turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 37. And so I want to talk to you uh, just for a few brief moments uh, about a man who was thankful for a lie. Uh, thankful for a lie. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where uh, you were thankful that someone lied to you, uh, but uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight just for a few verses, uh, just for a few minutes as the, uh, the Lord says that faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, by His Word, and so as good as the choir uh, is, in fact, good at all the singing has been tonight, uh, we do want to turn to the Word and read a passage of Scripture and take some thoughts uh, from that. I do thank you for the privilege, uh, Wayne, for the invite to speak, and I thank you guys for being here to celebrate together uh, as a body in Christ uh, from many denominations, uh, from all the folks who are here. We're grateful uh, to be among you. So Genesis chapter 37, and uh, I want to read uh, quite a few verses, but if you'll follow along, I think it'll be on the wall. Uh, you can uh, read along together as I read aloud. Verse number 18, Genesis 37. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, and let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard of it. and He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said, Shed no blood, but cast him into that pit, which is his in the, in the wilderness, which is, is in this wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of the, uh, their hands and bring him back to their father. And so it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. And then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh on their way to carry them to Egypt. And so Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh." And his brothers listened. And then the Midianite traders passed by, and the brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and lifted him out, and then sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And then Reuben returned to the pit. Indeed, Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? And so they took Joseph's tunic and killed a kid of the goats, and they dipped the tunic in blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is this, your son's tunic or not? 
And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. And without Joseph to be, is, is torn into pieces. And without doubt, Joseph is torn into pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and put off a sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave with my son in mourning. And thus his father wept for him. And now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we ask now that as a vessel, we, you speak through us, that you take this word and speak it, apply it to those that are within the sound of my voice. God, wholly dependent upon you, I confess my unworthiness and I ask for your spirit just to anoint and to speak, to teach, to do what no other can do, to do what I cannot do but to do what only you can. We're grateful even in advance for what you're going to do tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And amen. Thanksgiving is coming up on Thursday. I'm sure that you have plans, places to be, food to consume. Uh, we ate a wonderful meal tonight. Thank you for all those who uh, prepared that for us. Uh, travel plans for some of you. And we're going to have a big holiday. Thanksgiving is one of those times where especially those of us who are churchgoers tend to put our minds upon the things that we are thankful for. And then comes Black Friday. You ever thought about that? I don't know if you saw that picture going around Facebook this week. Anybody saw that? It said, only in America do people trample each other for sales exactly one day after being thankful for everything they already have. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I wondered how much is actually spent on Black Friday? Because it's one of those times of the year where we spend an awful lot of money as Americans. $59.1 billion is spent on one day. Can you imagine? $59 billion. And, and have you noticed every year, and this is just something, this is what I've seen, Black Friday used to be on Friday. And, and then it began to start earlier with the doorbusters, maybe at 6 o'clock. And now it's starting earlier at, at midnight. You could get in at midnight at many of the stores because that was actually the first part of Friday, right? And now what is it? It starts on Thursday. So Thanksgiving after dinner, even though you're so stuffed, you'd rather take a nap, you want to get ready to go get those Black Friday deals. I won't ask for a show of hands as to how many will be there on that Thursday night now participating in the one event where we demonstrate our lack. Jacob, though, he had a history of thankfulness. I mean, if you look down through his life, blessing after blessing after blessing, he stole his birthright, and then he left, and he got away with it. 
He survived his brother's wrath twice. That's pretty good. He got a two for the price of one deal on his wife. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of that would work for you guys tonight. Don't, don't aim for that. But in Jacob's day, getting two for the price of one was a pretty good deal because Rachel was so beautiful. And not only that, those two wives gave him their two concubines. Have you ever watched that show about the guy that has all the wives, sister wives? Doesn't that seem crazy? That was Jacob's life. And they all lived in the same house. He got back to the promised land of his fathers. And of course, then came Joseph. Born to Rachel, who had been unable to conceive the joy of his life. Last night, in preparing for this message some more, I watched that animated movie by Disney, Joseph the King of Dreams. And it messed me all up because the timeline seems to be wrong. But <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, he was so thrilled at the birth of Joseph. And all the other brothers were put to the side and they were... They were challenged in their workload and all these things that Disney laid into it. But Joseph was obviously a very special child. He was favored. In fact, we know of many times in Scripture where the Bible shows favoritism is not the best plan. So the jealousy arose in Genesis 37 happened. That's what we read tonight. Genesis 37 happened where it was a crushing blow in Jacob's life. This tore him apart. And many of you probably can, can identify with Jacob who have lost children. In fact, it's third on the list of most devastating, expen or, uh, stressful situations that we all go through. Death of a spouse, divorce, and loss of a child. You see, children are supposed to bury their parents. I've heard it said. Parents are not supposed to bury their children. But Jacob will come to a point before the evening that he is thankful over that. I read this week of a friend of mine on Facebook, and he spoke about his daughter's untimely death of leukemia. Her, her birthday was this week. She would have been 41. And he said uh, 24 years ago when she passed away, he made this statement on the Facebook page. He said, thank you, Lord, for the 24 years that I had with her. He didn't complain. He didn't fuss. But it was a time in his life that brought him to his knees. Sometimes in our lives, thankfulness is very, very difficult. Very difficult. Things are hard. Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards had taken the position of president at Princeton University uh, and had been a, a pastor out in the frontier of Massachusetts for 22 years. And uh, his church fired him after 22 years over the disagreement about who should take communion. Um, and he decided to make an issue, so they fired him. You know, the interesting part of that story that they could not find a pastor, 
And so every week for the next two years, they came to Edward's home and asked him to fill the pulpit. Uh, I don't know if you knew that story. Anyway, Edwards went to Princeton, and he began to be the president there, and there was a, a wave of sickness that went through there. I think it was tuberculosis, but uh, it began to pass around, and people began to get sick, and he got sick. And he realized that he was probably going to die. And so he wrote a letter by his daughter Lucy, who had just lost a husband herself, to go to her or his wife. And he said, take this to, his, to my wife. And this is what he said. He said, dear Lucy, it seems to me that it be the will of God that I must shortly leave you. Therefore, give my kindest regards to my wife and tell her that the uncommon union which has so long subsisted us has been of such nature as trust is spiritual and therefore will continue forever. And I hope that she will be supported under this so great trial and submit cheerfully to the will of God. And as to my children, you are now like the fatherless which I hope to be an inducement to you all to seek a father who will never fail you. So Lucy took this letter to her mother. Father passed away. Jonathan passed away very soonly after that. And this is what Sarah Edwards had to say. She said, what shall I say? A holy God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands over our mouths. But my God lives. The Lord has done this, and he has made me adore his goodness that he had left him so long. What a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am and love to be. She was thankful even at an early death of her husband and the legacy that she had left and of course, things like this are individual tragedies. They, they don't even compare to the national or the regional or the international tra travesties and, and suffering that we see, even over in the Philippines there in the last few weeks. The suffering that seems to grip people. Have you noticed that occasionally those things bring things into perspective, right? Have they interviewed folks after a tragedy like that? tornado out in the Midwest or a flood in Colorado, what do they say? They say we've got the family and that's all that matters, right? Things bring that into perspective. But what about our daily life? Let's talk about that a minute. Because these things that I've mentioned bring life into perspective. The death of a child, a divorce, a Cat a catastrophe that sweeps over an area. I mean, what if we had something like that happen in Tifton this week? This brings things into perspective. But what about our daily life? Most of us pray over our meals, right? I always ask my children, and you know, my children are three and seven and nine right now, and you see them doing various things as we pray uh, you know, my three-year-old's looking around and seeing if anybody's looking, uh, you know, while he eats. And the girls are looking around, seeing what he's doing so they can tell on him when he's done. 
But when we pray at meals, are we truly thankful? That's just a question that I ask, you know, uh, we used to sing the, uh, the blessing and then we began to pray the blessing. And, and, and I, I asked the children, I said, you know, what's important is not that we make sure we say a blessing at every meal. What's important is if we are truly grateful that God has provided to us. Because if you think about it, our country has been truly blessed. As I speak this, or as I wrote this, this is a quote from, from David Platt's book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called Radical Together. And he wrote this statement. He says, as I write this paragraph, more than 500 million people are starving to death in the world. They lack food, water, basic medical care. Children are dying of diseases like diarrhea. Many suffer lifelong brain damage because of early protein deficiency. Others will be sold into forced labor and sexual exploitation. Nearly 150 million children are orphans. Yet judging by what we hang on to in our churches, convenient programs and nice-looking parking lots are much more important than the children in their families. It's a question that we've got to ask, right? Are we really thankful? The United States is by far the richest country in the history of the world. I read this week that the number three man at Microsoft has more money than the entire country of Liechtenstein. I don't know where Liechtenstein is, but it sounds like a good quote. Some of you probably do. It says that the U.S. dominates the list of the wealthiest people in the world with more billionaires than any other country. It says there are 8 million millionaires in the United States and the net family worth, the median worth, I'm sorry, of a family in the United States is $300,000. I don't know if many of us will see that, but nevertheless, the sovereign worth of all assets by U.S. citizens is in the range of 70 to 100 trillion dollars. The U.S. represents 20% of the world's economy and its currency in the reserve is the currency of the planet. The United States is far the richest country in the earth. Are we thankful? Some of you have been on mission trips to countries that are less blessed than we are. Some of you haven't. I encourage you to go. It kind of brings to, to light the, the blessings that we have when you see the children in whatever country you go to. Peru is where I've been to most recently, and their faces are wind-chapped in the Andes Mountains because they don't, even, they don't even have lotion. They live in their homes, and the homes are made of tin roof and whatever they can throw together. Their clothes have holes in them. They eat probably once a day, maybe twice. Are we thankful in our normal life? Because we tend to overlook these things, whether it's in marriage or in football. I don't know how many of you guys watched football yesterday. I was moving, and so I had no cable. I can cast stones today, next Saturday, next Sunday. Don't listen to what I do. What about in marriage? What about in restaurants? Let's say the... The server, if you guys went out to church today and after, or to a restaurant today after church, what if the server really messed up? I mean, he messed up your order. They took 20 minutes, you know, 
and took another 20 minutes and took another 20 minutes and still messed up your order? Are we thankful that we have an order in a restaurant? Or do we feel a sense of entitlement? Because we're living in a country now where the sense of entitlement is pretty strong. And during Thanksgiving, that's the time when we should really remember that sense of entitlement is not something that we should think about. The realization that even if you have a day where everything touches, everything you touch turns to gold. And if you read the story of Jacob's, or Joseph's life when he was in Egypt, everything he did touched, it turned to gold. But if you have one of those days, for instance... Every moment of every part of that day was his. But if you have a day where everything goes wrong, it came from the same source. And you still have life and breath and health. Your heart is still beating. When you woke up this morning, the reason that you woke up, the Bible says, he makes all things consist or hold together. If you woke up this morning breathing, it's because Jesus Christ made it happen. You weren't entitled to that. You weren't entitled to good service in the restaurant. You weren't entitled to life at all. What about the other 11 months of the year? We do this thing, and I've seen many of you do it, and don't, don't hear me throwing rocks, because I think this is one of the things that, that, uh, that has actually helped this thought is they do 30 days of thanksgiving and for 30 days you think about things that you're thankful for anybody doing that nobody here or you just don't want to raise your hand nobody at all well oh we got one back here Woo-hoo. all right so we have 30 days of thanksgiving and each day in november they write down one thing that they are thankful for I think this helps. Maybe we should all do it because in our daily lives there is so much to be thankful for. But now back to Jacob. Jacob has lost his son. Joseph, of course, is in Egypt. And as the story goes, in Egypt he sold to Potiphar, as we read there in verse 36. He works his way up. He's a good servant. Potiphar promotes him in his household puts him over all the things in his household because he's doing well. Like I said, everything he touches turns to gold. And if you read chapters 39 through 42 uh, and 43, you're going to see that. And yet, while he was there, he was wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife. He was wrongfully convicted and wrongfully imprisoned. And he was imprisoned there for what seems to be a number of years, maybe two years. My daughters and I had a discussion about that today. We decided we couldn't tell. But Disney makes it seem like at least two years. (laughs) And so after that, the, the fact that he could interpret dreams comes to light. And the Pharaoh says, I've got this dream that's been plaguing me over weeks. Come and and send me this man. So he cleans up Joseph after being in prison for such a long time. And he meets with Pharaoh and he says, tell me your dream and God will provide the interpretation. And so he begins to tell him the dream. He says, here's what the dream means. And he told him and Pharaoh was impressed. And so he he began to put him in place in his 
administration. And all of a sudden, before you know it, Joseph is number two in charge. Only Pharaoh would be greater. And then the rest of the story, so to speak, Joseph's brothers showed up. Disney does a great job at this because he's got a wife, he's got children, and his wife's speaking to him there, and he looks up, and there are his uh, 11 brothers there, and he can't take it. He's overcome with, with grief. He has to go, and he's trembling and weeping. And the Bible says that he speaks harshly to them, and there's a confrontation, and he wants to see the younger brother. He wants to see Benjamin because he asked about Benjamin, the younger brother, because they said they'd come and, and their father was alive. He asked questions about Jacob, but it was only 10. He wanted, or 11. He wanted to know where the last one was. And they said, we left him at home because our father just couldn't bear the thought of him being lost. And they, he asked him, he said, why is that? And he, they explained to him, Eventually, why? And he told them the story about how they had betrayed their brother. And he said, their, my father just could not take it if we lost him. Because Joseph was going to keep him as a slave while they went back. And so it came to pass after they got back with the youngest brother, Joseph couldn't take it anymore, and he brought him in, and he revealed to them. He said, I am your brother. He took his Egyptian garments off. He said, I am your brother, Joseph. I'm the one whom you sold into slavery. And, of course, they had bowed down to him. They felt a great deal of fear. But immediately, I mean immediately, Joseph said, do not be afraid, for God has sent me here. We always like to quote Genesis 50, 20, what, what God or what you intended for evil, God intended for good. But Joseph said the same thing back in 45, and he said, look, he said, God sent me here for the preservation of your life. And so we know the story, and, and, and they are taken off guard at first. They were fearful, but he tells them, don't worry about it. He says, go get Dad and bring him back home, because you need to tell him that that son that he had lost, that he said, I will go to my grave in mourning for, is alive. In fact, he said, I want you to come and have the best of Egypt. I want you to live in the land of Goshen and ride out the famine with us. We'll provide for you. And can you imagine what it must have been like for Jacob to hear those words? Your son, Joseph, is alive. In fact, the Bible says at first that he didn't even believe him. He looked around at all the things that, that Joseph had sent, the food and, and the, the donkeys and the sheep and all these gifts that were given, and he thought, well, it must be true. It must be true. And so they gathered up everything they had, servants and 
all the wives of the brothers and their children and Jacob, who is very, very old, maybe he was 130 when, when Pharaoh asked him, but he was around that. He was very old. And they brought him. And the Bible says that they sent Joseph up ahead, I mean Judah up ahead to tell them that they were coming. And Disney does a great job with this. They've got Joseph and the wife and the two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh, waiting at the top of a hill, waiting on them, waiting on them. Kind of like your kids do or used to do when their grandparents were coming from a long way. You know, and they say, Nana's here, Nana's here, Nana's here. And they go busting through the door, right? Well, Joseph and his wife and Manasseh and Ephraim were watching. And they came around the corner and they said, here he is, here he is. And they ran out to meet him even though they'd never meet him. And it says that Jacob came and he wrapped his arm around his son Joseph, whom he thought was dead. And he wept. And I assure you that he at that point was thankful for life. He was thankful for the fact that those brothers, when they came back with the blood on the coat of many colors, were lying. He said in that next text, he said, I thought I would die without ever seeing you, and now I have seen you with my eyes, and I can die in peace. Because what he said here in verse 37 was exactly what he meant. I will go to my grave in mourning. God's sovereignty is expressed here in such a powerful way. He saved Israel and all the tribe. Not only that, he brought them to Egypt where they would be delivered out. When I was in Maine, we we were church planters in Maine for uh, four years with the North American Mission Board. And there was a godly older man. He was 78 when I came in 2003. And uh, he was a godly man. And he was one of my mentors. I was a pretty green. In fact, I was really green. I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, he took me under his wing and taught me how to be a pastor. Well, he taught me a little bit. And Jacob put his hand on the heads of Ephraim and Manasseh and he gave them his blessing. And that was very important in Israelite society, the blessing. And he gave them the blessing. And that laid out for the rest of the tribes of Israel what would be because there is no tribe of Joseph, right? You have the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. When I was there in Maine this summer, we were at Fred's house, and he's very feeble, very frail. He walked up there, and he put his hands on my children, on their head, and began to pray, pass along the blessing of the laying on of the hands, passing on that, that which was to come. God has a way of taking Old Testament truths and making them New Testament. Here's what I close with. In Luke chapter 15, there was a lost 
sheep, there was a lost coin, and then there was a lost son. And I won't go through this story, but you know the son went away and he came back and the father ran to meet his son and said, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. And he throws a major party with that son. God stays in a place where he longs to have a relationship with you. You and I, as members of Adam's race, have strayed. Whether we know it or not, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot even think about how many times we have taken that great commandment to love Him with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength and not done it. All of us are doing that pretty much right now. We've failed Him so often. And yet Jesus said, all who come to him in faith, all that receive me, I will grant unto them the power to become the sons of God. And we can go running and the Father can go running and wrap his arms around us and have the experience of Luke 15 and have the experience of Genesis 45. Maybe you're here tonight. And you want to receive that kind of mercy. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe you've fallen short of his glory. And you need to receive Christ as he talked about in John chapter 1. I want to extend that invitation because the Bible extends that invitation to you. Put your trust in him tonight. And be thankful for the lie that you were fed that you're okay. Because you need Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being called your son. For all those who have received you. All those who have believed on your name. And Lord, I pray tonight if there are those here who have not ever done that, God, that you would cause that to happen in their life. Lord, I pray against the feeling of entitlement. I pray for the thanksgiving that should be in our lives. I pray for the perspective that comes when devastation enters in to our life. But Father, most importantly tonight, I pray that the cross of Jesus Christ would impact people. And, and as Wayne said earlier, that the most wonderful thing, the highest thing on our list should be the cross of Jesus Christ. That he took our place, bore our sin, so that we may have life. We pray these things tonight without shame. In the name of Jesus.